and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people, making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Yes, I know we've kept you in suspense, but today we're releasing our third and final episode talking to Kay Cotty. And this incredible, wonderful, brave woman, even she suffers with imposter syndrome. We go into some details of the legacies that she's created in her career. And it's just a lovely, calm, wonderful chat with my friend Kay. I hope you enjoy it. And um, the Maritime Museum Board, I was so nervous. I was so, what am I doing here? I'm sitting here with heads of industry and professors of history and all these amazing people. And I thought, what am I doing here? You know. And so I didn't say much for the first bit. Peter Doyle was chair. You remember Peter Doyle of the... As in the chef? No. No, um, that one, another one. Yeah, Peter Peter Doyle Senior, as in um, Watson's Bay Fish and Chips. Doyle's yeah, Doyle's, Watson. Doyle's restaurants. Yeah. yeah, that was Peter Doyle Senior. And it was a prime ministerial appointment, so put me there. Hawk put me there first. How does that happen? What, what is a prime ministerial appointment? What does that mean? Well, he yeah. approves who goes on what boards. Mm. He appoints you. Yep. So I was invited to go on the board. Yep. And then um, I got used to the people. They're all just people. Mm. And so you got over your, what do we call that when we're um, imposter syndrome? Is that what it's called? It, that's what it's called mm. when you, well, when you think you shouldn't like be there yes. and you are there. It's imposter syndrome. Oh. Mm. Well, I. I loved that, and, and I was on the subcommittee of the fleet, so I used to rock over to the where the boats used to be repaired and things, and I guess I could talk the language to the guys. Mm. Um, and then in the boardroom, <laughs> I found it quite fascinating that there's a lot of political, as you can imagine, the National Maritime Museum was being built in Darling Harbour at that time, and it was and is still the only national institution that's not in Canberra. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you couldn't have Maritime Museum in Canberra. Mm. So um, 
That was fascinating. And then Peter Doyle was stepping down as chair and I got, I think I got reappointed by Keating at one stage. And then I got appointed by Howard. And I became fairly outspoken because when the museum was built, it, it was built to house, well, it was built to house Australia too, but it was also, it wasn't, um, it didn't have enough room for the conservation and the administration. And they were renting space up the road. Mm. Half a building or something they were renting for the conservation and administration. Well, they decided to build the casino right near where they were renting. So mm -hmm. all the rents were going to go through the roof. Mm -hmm. And when I spoke to the government about it, they said, well, go and rent somewhere. You have to go somewhere cheaper out of Parramatta or somewhere. And I said, well, that's just stupid. You can't split it up like that. I want to get Wharf 7. Well, the state government had owned Wharf 7. And so they started a campaign to get Wharf 7. And who was, um, Bob Carr was the premier then. And they were going to sell it to the highest bidder for goodness knows how many million. And we didn't have the money. And we came up with a plan. If we got Wharf 7 for nothing or near nothing, mm. we could borrow $19 million, build a building on it, and it would house all the conservation, the administration. We would also bring in... Sydney Maritime Museum, they could be based there and have their office there and they could put James Craig and big boats out the front and that would combine the two rather than have everybody think, you know, which is which. And the top floor of this building was purely for rent. So that would pay off the loan in 10 years. And the staff at the museum were fantastic. I mean, we used to nut this out and the board would just absolutely hysterical. We had different board members and they didn't know what it was like to be on a board with us because it was pretty basic. You know. mm. I had the naughty end of the table up the other end of the board <laughs> table. Now, you know, behave yourself kids at the wrong end of the table and things like that. I mean, there was no holes barred. <laughs> and, and we went in there arguing one day and we had two new board members and we walked in there and we were all going hammer and tongs. We hadn't sat down to start the meeting. And then we sat down and the two new ones, I went, oh, better introduce them. And so we introduced the two new board members and then we all went back at it, hammer and tongs. And we turned around and they'd gone. <laughs> the two of them. And they were sitting against the wall. The boardroom was sensational. It was fitted out like... Um, Anyway, the boardroom was fitted out like the Cutty Sark's wardroom and it was just fabulous. And, and we looked around for these two and then a hair, hand came up from under the table. <laughs> Is it safe? 
<laughs> and everybody just fell about laughing and they got up and that was their introduction to the Maritime Museum Board. Just, <laughs> and, and then we'd have proper meetings. And, but the thing I loved about it was everybody became so passionate mm. and there were different subcommittees for finance, audit, fleet, marketing, whatever. And I used to shuffle them around. So I'd pick someone who was really good at finance, like the guy that started the National Bank was on that time. So I'd pick him as chair of that committee and then I'd pick someone who didn't know anything about finance mm. and put them with them so they'd know. And then I'd pick someone who didn't know much about marketing with a marketing guru. And some were labour, some were liberal. Didn't matter. Mm. They got on like house on fire. Mm. And if they had to miss a meeting, like they're overseas somewhere or other, they used to need cry. Or they'd change really? their trip so they'd come home so they didn't miss a meeting because they were such fun and they were so passionate about what they were doing. Yeah. Anyway, we, we hadn't got Wharf 7 at this stage and the department sent up the secretary of the department which they said in on our board meetings. And this particular board meeting, this department guy said, I've got a message from Canberra. And they said, you're wasting too much time and too many resources on trying to get Wharf 7. We're telling you to leave it and go and rent somewhere. Goodness. And because I'm such a pig-headed cow, I just remember standing up, I actually stood up and leaned over at this guy and I said, well, you can take a message back that I won't rest until and leave it until someone has moved into that building and they've got their neon sign on the roof. And I sat down and I didn't rest and nor did the rest of the board and the staff. Yeah. And we got War 7. Bob Carr decided to sell it to us for, I think, four million. Right. So, yeah, we couldn't get the $19 million because we had to have a guarantor right. to borrow the money. Yep. And we asked the Federal Finance Department to guarantee us, and we had mm. it all out. The rent was going to pay off the loan completely in 10 years, mm -hmm. and then we would have the rent to by acquisitions or restore things or mm. it would have a private income, mm. the museum would. And no, no, no institution, no government institution has ever borrowed money privately. Right. So they wouldn't do it. So I rang um, the finance minister. Anyway, the finance minister was John Fay. So I rang him. I was desperate. We had to do it in a hurry. Otherwise Carl might change his mind. So. Because he wasn't a water sports fan, Carl, was he? Oh, well, he just wanted to get money, that's all, for mm. the Wharf 7 and sell it off to private enterprise. Mm. So I rang John at home. I, I should have been a detective. I used to track down people's number like you wouldn't believe. Wouldn't mean no one was safe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I rang John Fay at home and... He said, I'm just about to go out. And I said, look, I'm going to tell you a quick story. And I explained about 
we'd have to rent at Parramatta. We've got the opportunity to do this. We need to borrow $19 million. The rent is going to pay the loan off completely in 10 years and then the museum will have this huge income from the rent of this waterfront top floor of a building towards its running costs. And he said, that sounds like a great idea. What's stopping you? And I said, your department. And he said, I'll fix that. So the next morning, yeah. we got the okay. We borrowed $19 million. The building was built. Sydney Maritime Museum is now part of the infrastructure and everything in the National Maritime Museum. The top floor was rented to Foxtel for many, many years. Yeah. And they paid an arm and a leg. Yeah. And it was all paid off in 10 years and now they've got an income. And that, none of that would exist without you? Well, I don't know. I could have had a chair that wanted to do the same sort of thing. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm just pig-headed. No, you're determined. I, I term it as determined. Hmm. Nicer term. So you that, deserve that's, that nicer that's term. That's the sort of thing that I like doing. So that's what you you like. You're leaving quite a number of legacies behind you because of that, aren't you? I don't know about that. Yes, you are. I don't know. I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah. No one knows about that, really. They don't know about the arguments I had with the government and how I used to ring Bob Carr at home and go on my head at him or how I'd grab the lapel of Paul Keating and try to talk sense into him once. It doesn't matter who it was. Or in the middle of a press conference with Bob, um, Bob Hawke was standing there and we're facing these, giving his speech to the press and everything and I just muttered out of the corner of my mouth, I need to talk to you. He said, turn around when I get to three, one, two, three, and we just both turned our back to the press. I went, <laughs> he went, <laughs> we both turned around back to the press. <laughs> it was quite funny. <laughs> so in the end, I have to say, I haven't really been invited back on a board <laughs> since then. Oh, no, no, I tell a lie, I was on the Ministerial Advisory Council for 20 odd years, which I only, which I think is... I only got off last year. Which is, yeah. Um, but I think they're a bit um, wary. Because Very one wary, side yeah. of government, yeah. this is a story I used to tell when I was giving talks, one side of government used to call me um, a loose cannon. Yeah. And the other side of government used to call me a pinless hand grenade. So they didn't know what was going to come and where it was going to come from. <laughs> but I don't care. Yeah. It was, I just did what I had to do. Oh, sorry, I did what I thought I should have done. Because you really believed yeah. in that cause. Yeah. And, and not just that. me believed, but other people believed it too. And it was just mm. common sense. Mm. And I guess that's what I'm good at, common sense. Well, yeah, you're a very practical, boring no, you're not boring. You are far from boring, Kay. <laughs> you're not boring at all. <laughs> Darwin brought Kay home earlier than expected, but her boyfriend Ian Thomas was out to meet her and soon there was a fleet of spectator craft and celebrations. After 190 days at sea, with only her radio for company, Kay was overwhelmed as the full scale of her welcome into Sydney was realised. 
at the finish line, there were scenes reminiscent of Australia Day. So I'm showing you now, Kay Cotty, a photo of you when you stepped off the boat. Who was that person when you came into Sydney Harbour? This is quite emotional for you, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're gorgeous. You're still gorgeous. But... That was a person who didn't understand what was going on and just wanted to go back to sea. Wow. And yet, if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't have been able to achieve the, the legacies that you have with things like the National Maritime Museum. No, possibly not. Could you I would have done something. You would have done what. something. <laughs> I would have done something. But you would have... Um, that recognition that you got at that time gave you the but opportunity... But I didn't do it for the recognition. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. But is that's how life works. When you do something that's so incredible like that, the rest of the world recognises it and then gives you, well, takes, respects you and says, can you help us with this or can you help us with that? Yeah, and I don't mind doing that. Mm. But the rest of the world sees someone that does that as someone, not superhuman, but extraordinary. And mm. I see myself as an ordinary person. I know. That's very practical and that would like to help people and do good things. I mean, I sound like Pollyanna. I mean, <laughs> but that's just how I am. Yeah. I'm a doer and I like helping people. But don't get me wrong, I can get my back up and be as mean as I'll get out if someone does something that I don't think is right or is not right in the eyes of my friends or my family. Yes, because we all defend those that we love, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to do this, because, because the rest of the world may see you as a very strong... Um, out there sort of person but in actual fact you are a very humble very beautiful very loving person <laughs> aren't you and I wanted to make sure that got across in this conversation because um, that there is a bit of tall poppy syndrome in Australia and yeah, I haven't really I've got to say I haven't had that that's good. directed at me yeah I've seen it directed at people and I've seen other people that have done amazing things and more amazing than what I've done. And and I've seen them change. And I always said, when I got back, I will not let this change me, basically, who I am. Yeah. And how I am. Other people have ruined the rest of their lives trying to stay on that... Um, not emotional high, adrenaline high, I guess. Whether it's from the recognition or from the um, 
adrenaline of doing what they did because I've met a lot of amazing people mm. and I think it's sad when you see people change just mm. because they did something they wanted to and other people see it differently to how they see it yes and they believed in their own publicity I guess mm. is that the only way to put it really mm. Mm. Some have the right to believe in it. They want to, but I still don't think it should change a basic person. Mm. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Kay. This has been a wonderful conversation. It's Thank gone you on for far, sharing with far me too as a long. friend. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Thank you. Ooh, I need a drink tonight. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it ends. Oh. <laughs> Isn't she beautiful? I love that woman because she's she's just so oh, she's so down to earth. For somebody that's done what she's done, she is so down to earth. She's so practical. You know, talking about when she bought the marina, she made her own sales. Sc sale, sc screen sales all the way around for the sun coverage because she could. So she made them. Oh, we've just gone over the cattle grid, folks. <laughs> she's just, um, she's so warm and she's so gorgeous and generous. And, you know, that's because we're friends. And because um, she values her friends and I, I value, and because I value her, I, I, I think she's um, a wonderful, wonderful person. And I think, um, a treasurer of Australia that should be always taken care of and uh, looked up to. Which is why she's got the AO, probably, isn't it? Probably. And quite rightly so. Oh, OA. Oh, I got it the wrong way around. <laughs> Order of Australia. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. That keeps it real, doesn't it? Saying things like that. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still not there yet. We're on our way. <laughs> You're on, our, on your way, one. <laughs> working towards it. Oh dear, no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And the tears at the end, oh bless her. You know, it's just because she's so incredibly humble. So thank you for listening, Australia. It was nice to share. One of my true friends. We'll see you on Yamba <laughs> Marina soon. Yamba Marina is, I gotta say, it's such a great spot. It's awesome. So, um, We'll see you at Yamba Marina on the water very soon. Make sure you give Kay a wave. <laughs>
November 29, 1987, 33-year-old Cotty set sail from Sydney towards New Zealand on the yacht Blackmore's First Lady. A Cavalier 37, she had largely built herself. Over the next six months, she was alone at sea, navigating some of the most dangerous oceans on Earth and facing more setbacks and challenges than many of us encounter in a lifetime. Her life flashed before her eyes on several occasions as she was washed overboard and narrowly avoided a tanker at sea. Off the coast of Southern Africa, her yacht overturned in 100 knot winds and 70 foot seas. But Connie was strong and defiant. After months of being alone, she rounded the southern tip of Tasmania and headed up the east coast of Australia. She was greeted in Sydney Harbour by an adoring crowd of thousands, all keen to welcome home the heroic lone sailor. Cotty's boys raised more than $1 million for charity, and she spoke to more than 40,000 schoolchildren, inspiring them to achieve their dreams. Cotty has become a pioneer for female sailors and an inspiration to all. Kay Cotty, Australian Sailing Hall of Fame inductee in 2017. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you'd like to know more about what I do and where I am, then you can follow me on Instagram at the Boat Princess. You can also sign up to my newsletter on my website, which is theboatprincess.com. And in doing so, you'll actually receive a code so that you can instantly enjoy complimentary from Ocean Magazine, their digital subscription until January 2022. That magazine is absolutely fantastic, beautifully put together, so much information about new boat models coming out, luxury lifestyle items and what's going around all over the world in the boating industry. So just go to my site at www.theboatprincess.com, sign up for my newsletter and you'll receive that gift from myself and Ocean Magazine. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and hopefully we'll see you on the water soon.